All right, welcome to Average Joe's Podcast. This is Zygmunt Maloney in Chicago. It's kind of chilly right now, but not that bad. And my name is Hunter Ford, uh, Captain and President for VCU. And uh, global warming hit us hard here. It's been a solid 70 all day, so that's cool. <laughs> and uh, I'm Mario Romanelli. I'm in Winchester, Virginia, NCDA alumni. And it's about the same over here, 70 degrees, sunny and nice. Beautiful. You guys are lucky. So, Hunter, you can launch into the beast. Okay. Um, so this past weekend, uh, James Madison University or JMU had the opportunity to host the their annual beast tournament, and uh, there was definitely a lot of talent. Um, one of the things I talked about in my article. So, visiting teams included Michigan State. Towson, University of Kentucky, VCU, and Ohio State University, and then, of course, uh, the host, JMU. And kind of in the only thing that we sort of expected is that it was going to be a hard-fought thing, and we were all would all be pretty surprised if any team came out undefeated. That did not happen, but not necessarily in the way we thought it would happen. For yeah. sure. And for Ohio State and Michigan State, they uh, I think they each had, what, 13 players on each team. Um, and considering they were down a few players, they still played very well, um, showing why they're one of the top teams in the country. And I think what hurt them more is fatigue, I think, in, like, the later rounds. So even though OSU was 0-4, it still wasn't an easy matchup, um, I think, overall. I mean, I think once the game went on, they were getting tired out while uh, the other team had subs and stuff. But I think the match that I uh, saw, the first match that I saw fully was VCU and OSU. And it was actually a very exciting first half. Um, lasted pretty long, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like stalling, you know, it was like, there was stuff going on and happening. And I think once VCU took control in the second half, they just left of them behind i think that that score ended 4-1 right hunter no it was actually three to two um oh yeah it was the late point at the end but i remember it being 1-1 at halftime and it was pretty exciting yeah and it was it was 3-1 and then there was only a there was only a few players left on either side towards the end of the second half but then Ohio State pulled it out i think with a few people left to score the last point with 40 seconds left so it was, um, you know, I wouldn't say meaningless, but um, it was just more like a stat padding kind of point at that time. Yeah. Not to discredit them. It was a, it, they earned it. So. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. And I think uh, I remember Ziggy and I talked about this a while ago and I think Ohio state for some reason still is this team that is always good at catching. And I think that helps out for a team. <laughs> Right, they always since I was a freshman, they yeah. always it's, since their history, like since the first collegiate match, like I guess they've always they been known for catching. Yeah, and I, I so don't much know. so that like when they had nationals at OSU a couple of years ago, there was they're doing radar gun tests, and there was like an OSU player came up, was like, "Hold on, I want you guys to throw at me, and then I want to see how fast I can catch a ball using the radar gun instead of just throwing a ball in general." I thought that was that was beautiful. trademark OSU. Um, it is. It, it's their catching team, and uh, that's why I felt like even though um, 
even though they may not have the numbers, that's one thing that they can work into their advantage um, when being down. Very true. I think um, especially when it comes to, let's say, like a day two of national sort of deal, you got guys who can throw their arms out day one, you know, trying to rack up kills. But ultimately, you're not um, when you're fatigued, throwing takes the bigger hit than necessarily catching. So um, it's definitely kind of like that whole um, basketball mantra where if your shot's not on, if you can you know, defense doesn't necessarily have an on and off. It's either you can do it or you don't. Whereas in, you know, offense, it tends to be on or off. And you can kind of see the same thing times when it comes to dodgeball. And especially, you know, not even just on a day two of nationals, for example, but even let's say you get into your third and fourth game and people start to, you can definitely see when people start to lose some steam. Definitely. Definitely. The Towson UK, uh, that was a very exciting match. That one went to overtime. Um, I think Kentucky won that one. Right? Yeah, first match of the day, three to two. Kentucky did. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. I only got a chance to see the very tail end in overtime because I was helping officiate another game. But uh, Kentucky was, they looked like they were in a position to win in regulation, but. Um, some I feel bad for not remembering who it was. I think it might have been Tim Wells. Uh, either Tim or Jeremy Brown came up with a really big catch for Towson with only two players remaining. So they ended up having three guys with about a minute left, and that really helped them uh, stall out the point to go into overtime in the first place. Nice. Um, any standouts in the middle of the day? I mean, it's just like the – I like the round. I like rounds that are like three in. Those are my my favorite rounds to see the scores at three rounds in, for just for some reason, arbitrary reason. But Towson, MSU, and VCU, OSU would be in the third round. Looks yeah. Looks like some good games. Like Towson, MSU has played a couple times in the history, and uh, I don't think mm-hmm. VCU and OSU ever played. We did. We played them at nationals one or two. last year. So like one time only. So yeah, one it's time. Good. It's always good to play a new a new person. It's always mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, it, it's true. It's cool seeing uh, new schools because it's like a lot of times you don't know what that school is like capable of. Hmm. Um, like you know, like Ohio State being known for that catching team. Like I guess I don't know how many times they ever go out east. So it's always like new faces, new people. You're not sure of. Um, Definitely. I mean, I honestly, I Hunter, from what I talked to everybody, because I haven't followed NCAA too much, but from everybody, the other captains, they all said they were very impressed with BCU's performance throughout the entire day, that you guys played very well as a team. And I would agree, because the matches I saw, you guys worked very well together. Um, I mean, obviously, there, there are times where, like, you know, other teams, and like, you know, you're battling back and forth and anything can happen. But I thought your team did a great job of like staying up front, putting the pressure, moving back when they had to. And I think it was a great job by you at, too as a captain. I was going to talk about you uh, doing a good job leading the team, but since you're here, I guess you uh, I mean, you can still brag if you want, but I appreciate that. Um, I definitely uh, – I do feel like we had – you know, at least in the eyes of other people, see why we would have a solid performance. I actually, on the trip to JMU that morning, 
Um, when I stopped, when we stopped off at Chick-fil-A, I was talking to one of my assistant captains, Tora Oda. And I told him, I, I told him beforehand, I was like, you know, I have a really good feeling about today. Like, I, I definitely think we can turn some heads and um, make some good things happen. And even right before the Michigan State game, I was talking to Mark Antos, one of the um, one of the players for JMU. I think he's their secretary now. He used to he was at VCU for a year and then transferred back to JMU. But I, he asked how I felt about our matchup against MSU, and I told him I think that we are in a good position. The only problem is if we go into overtime with them, I think that's where we run into some issues. I wish I didn't jinx myself because sure enough, we went into overtime and uh, weren't able to pull it out. But um, those things happen. They were a more experienced team than us. And I think that uh, tended to show at least in that moment. Yeah. Let's talk about overtime. So mm-hmm. how, how long do you think your overtimes last? Because I don't think we got a like a big stats, but we got, we got some decent ones. A couple yeah. I'm actually, uh, it's kind of interesting you bring that up because I was trying to, I was trying to look at it and figure that out um, just with some of our game footage. I think our overtime with Michigan State lasted roughly three and a half to four minutes long. Um, nothing too, nothing too lengthy. And then our overtime with Kentucky, I think was a little bit shorter. I think it was around three to three and a half minutes. Um and then the other one of the other overtime matchups, uh, Kentucky and Towson, their match, their overtime, I think also went around that three minute ballpark range. So, um, you know, when it obviously when you have less players and shorter shot clocks and uh, things tend to move a little bit faster pace. So I definitely think that was the case. I think it's even comparatively slow for a 66 match anyway. And I. I mm-hmm. do that. I account that for the bigger court usually, because usually a sixty-six is like slightly smaller than a volleyball court, especially for like elite rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the other factor is that you're talking about it's the six best players from each side. Usually, the best players tend to be able to last into games longer, either because they're better blockers, smarter throwers, um, you know, know how to position themselves. So. Um, I think when it comes to that factor as well, that can, you know, be a cause. Definitely. Um, Hunter, I have a question for you. Do you think sure. that um, at, when you went to the the overtime for MSU, was there any difference when you went to the overtime with Kentucky? Like when you went to the overtime with Kentucky, did you have a feeling of, okay, we've been through this, we know what we should do? Like, like how, how did you feel? Like, was that your first overtime? Like, uh, no, actually that wasn't even our, um, so we had, we went into overtime a couple times, uh, the first semester, the two that I know off the top of my head was we went into overtime against Maryland at their place, which we pulled out. And then we also went into overtime against Kent state at Akron. That was, and we ended up pulling that one out too. We actually, uh, I don't, I don't. I honestly can't even explain it. But our overtime record has been pretty solid since I've been at VCU. I think our only overtime losses were to Michigan State and then Bowling Green at Bowling Green for Nationals, which I'm still a little disappointed about. <laughs> but it's okay. Um, no, but uh, we had like for the guys that we have on our team right now, um, we have all we have a good amount of overtime experience. I think that the game against Kentucky was our eighth overtime matchup. So um, even in the game against Michigan State, we still had some experience, obviously not to the 
extent that Michigan State has, considering they go to overtime every time they play, you know, Central, Saginaw, and yeah. Grand Valley. But um, enough that I think we, you know, would be able to be smart enough to make good decisions. And ball, and like you said, ball control does make a big difference. I think in that overtime with Kentucky, uh, you guys had ball control, I think, majority of that overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys did a, a great job. And I remember you guys also, you put pressure on Kentucky when their shot clock was running low. So then you got those balls back that you used to throw at them, which I thought was a great, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I thought that was great because you guys then kept ball control. You then got all the balls and it ended up being even a bigger swing in your favor. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we definitely, uh, I would say have benefited from in some ways is we've had practices where we have to alternate our gym locations just based on um, whatever scheduling crap our school wants to put us through. And so we have some times where we deal with a very deep back wall. We have some times where we deal with a very close back wall, sometimes where we don't have really a wall at all. And so having that experience playing with all those different types helps us know like, okay, where are we going to be able to get a good rebound on a reset throw and um, being able to, you know, in overtime when players are a lot more dispersed and spread out, it's a lot easier to get those rebounds. And JMU having that semi-close-ish back wall really helped us get it, you know, get rollbacks, get balls back in our control. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the, the three overtimes is, is nothing to shy at. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially, especially since, like, the average um, ratio for overtime is, like, 1 in 12. One overtime per 12 yeah. games, you mean? Yeah, yeah, 1 in 12. Oh. That's the odds. Um, so we had 3 and 12, essentially. I think it was 12, right? No, 3 and 11, which is pretty big. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that just goes to show how good the teams were that came to compete. And I think just as easily the Towson-JMU game could have gone to overtime at some point. Towson was just able to hold out at the ends of both halves to uh, keep their lead, which was really huge. Yeah. Um, a lot of times that'll – you could see that happen in some of the the, the, the records that I've seen. Um, so I guess to end out on the, the recap section, what do you guys think was the biggest game of the day? Um, I thought that the highlighted game was JMU Towson, like going into the tournament. I think a lot of people were looking forward to that matchup. Um, I didn't watch most of it because I was on the other court refing. Um but from what I heard, it was an exciting game. Uh, Hunter, I don't know um, what you think on uh, on the top game of the. Yeah, I was going to completely agree with you there. Uh, Towson VMU was definitely really huge. Um, I think it, it well, it obviously meant a ton to Towson, and Sean Smith kind of, uh, well, he did predict it, you know, in his little prediction thing. But one of the things that he talked about was that. Last season, when Towson got their very first win over JMU, they lost to JMU twice at the beginning of the year and then finally got it together. Same exact scenario this year. They lost to JMU twice and then got it together at their place. And I think really the defining moment was um, JMU is always – they always roll very big when it comes to their fans. They have tons of alumni that come, tons of students, tons of parents, and really – like we were in the middle of our game and 
I was recognized how noticeably quiet it was in that gym since mm -hmm. I knew JMU was playing. And so I think for Towson to know that they beat JMU outright and silencing the crowd was definitely something that they're not going to forget about. Yeah, definitely beating JMU at home. I think that that probably is really good for Towson. For sure. And I, I think one of the biggest things that it, um, uh, Colin pointed it out was that Towson's depth hasn't ever been as good as it is right now which I think was really the biggest thing. JMU has always had a ton of depth and, you know, you can go through one through, honestly, one through even 25. There's guys that I've seen on their, on their JV team that could definitely even potentially be in an overtime six for um, some other teams. Yeah. They have a huge organization. I think it helps. It's like oh, for being, sure. a, being a big school and being able to have 30 on 30 dodgeball nights or whatever, what have you. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's pretty pretty depth, pretty good for depth. But like I said, uh, Towson's depth, um, at least when they have their 15 best on the court, is, you know, I think on par with, you know, many teams throughout the country. Um, even when they had the chance to play against Grand Valley earlier this year, I mean, it was a 3-1 loss, but 3-1 isn't anything to scoff at by any means. So that's definitely respectable. Um, all right, so... That's good. I there's a lot of cool matches on the day. It was interesting to see people talk about it and stuff like that. It's definitely been a big tournament. But what rules were iffy, I guess. I mean, every tournament I feel like is going to have like contradictions with some sort of rule. Um, I felt like one thing I think that just wasn't clear uh, for like all everyone playing. I think just a lot of people had different viewpoints on over was the shot clocks uh only because i heard some things from like house were shot clocking the michigan state players were shot clocking ohio state players shot clocking it was kind of like a little controversy i didn't quite get uh the biggest one was on balls over does the shot clock reset and i think most people just weren't sure about it and the shot clock i think is supposed to reset ziggy right that's, yeah that's it, it is that was actually a rule that was proposed two years ago and passed and then never made it into the rule book. <laughs> um, so, it was like one out of 10 that we missed and like nobody, nobody said anything until the next year when they were, when we were doing policy. Proposals yeah. and stuff. So, 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 okay. I can see why yeah, it was not. It does. Yeah. I, it, 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 but that's probably the league's fault. That's my fault. Yeah. Uh, um, I wish well, our old president told us about that. <laughs> Oh, well. um, yeah, so it's the shot clock resets for everyone on a ball's over. Okay. Um, right, makes sense. Um, only because I think a lot of people just weren't too sure, so we were just resetting it anyway. Um, yeah, probably I think probably the best. Yeah. West West stepped up and kind of took initiative and was like, hey, I've been here before. I know how this works. <laughs> so yeah. um, kudos, kudos to him. Yeah, Wes would know the rules if you're ever not sure. And he, he does a good job explaining it. So, like, it, he explained it as if you were the team that got all the balls and you were on 13 seconds on a shot clock or two seconds if you're counting down, yeah, uh, you then have less time to get up to the line and throw. Even if the shot clock gets reduced to the nearest five in a row, you still have less time than a whole, you know, 15 yeah. seconds. That's certainly, yeah. like, a really good reasoning why it is what it is. Well, mm -hmm. Is what it is now. 
I guess it wasn't even defined before then. It was just whatever happened happened. It was one of those things that just wasn't defined as a rule. One other rule that I think should be discussed is uh, balls in the air on a on a balls over, and then it gets caught. Um, I think there is definitely some confusion about you know what do we rule on that? Is it just a dead ball regardless of if that player gets hit? If it's a catch, um, so we should talk about that. Yeah. So the the official rule for that is a um, ball violation when it happens is the instant of a stop stoppage of play. So if the player is hit like right before the stoppage of play and the ball's in the air, they can make a play on it and it would count. So they can make a catch or if they fail to make a catch, then they're out. Or okay, interesting. So, but they had to be hit before the stoppage of play is called. So before, okay. ideally, all our shot clocks should have whistles. And when they do whistle, that's the stoppage of play. So you know, but... You know, sometimes not everybody has a whistle, I understand, but that's when the you know, head ref needs to make the call and say the stoppage of play was, I heard it, and then I whistled like a second later, but he was hit and sorted out on the court as a call. But the stoppage of play is a ball violation, so anything that can happen after the stoppage of play doesn't happen because there was no play to be made. But if they're hit before the whistle you know, proverbial whistle, then they can make a catch on the ball before it becomes dead. It's, very, okay. it's a very good good uh, topic to discuss. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just a, like a logic chain. Like, did this happen, and then the whistle happens. Nothing can happen after the whistle, except for this exception, because the ball was live. Mm-hmm. And, not, yeah. you know, something's mm-hmm. fair. It's, it's they, Is that clear? Yeah, yep. I, I I know what you mean. It's Dogsville, I think, as a whole, it's hard to officiate and come up with a good rule set because there's so many variables to everything. Uh, and because there's also multiple balls. Like, we have 10 balls on the court. So it's hard to follow 10, 10 balls at once yeah. um, in any situation. Um, yeah, so thank you for that, Zig. I do want to get a clarification. So when you step on the line, uh, is that it's it's over? But what about the attack line? Is the attack line on the line or over? Yeah, it's 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 uh, if you step on the attack line, you are out. You're out. But any other line, it's over. No, it's always on. It's always been on the line. Yeah. Wait, no. I think what he's saying is like if you're in the back line, you have to be over the line. You know, yeah, do you have like if you're on the back line, if you're on the line, is it okay? Um, like if you only have like that one toe on the back line and then the rest of your body's out. I have to look it up real quick. <laughs> I think we've, I mean, every time we've always played and everyone has always had this feeling is that as long as you have a body part in, you yeah. know, no matter how small it is, then you're good. Yeah. I think the, the question is, is the body part on the line actually count like if you're on the line or if you're off the line so i mean if you're on the line and you're not in the line, okay i see what you're saying inside the paint i see what you're saying corner, does that count yeah I, you see um i i get the whole attack line you have to be if you're on the line then you're out i can i get and well we did bring at the cdo um me and brian himmel were 
of DePaul, we were thinking it out irrationally. And I was like, because lines could be different width, it should just be if you step on the width of the paint, then mm -hmm. you're out. But he's like, he's like, no, well, what if you have a, a one inch line versus a three inch line, then you get that extra inch. And I was just like, what are you doing? In game <laughs> um, but that's, that's another thing. Like, I, I guess it's different how you think of it. So, but I think the original way we years ago, it came into being was if you just step on the paint, then you're out. Yeah. It... Um, and it was, I think it's only for the active, I mean, the, attack line it doesn't really it could yeah. extend but uh it's probably a lack of that one variable in the rule book so we should look into fixing that mm -hmm. um good debate i i know because elite does it with uh <laughs> with on the line isn't out uh, on the line you're safe but anything over that is out Game time well, at least that was weird. So at next weekend is the Bobcat Bash. The weekend after that is going to be MDC, and then um, BCU is hosting a tournament. We are hosting a tournament. I don't have a name. I don't have a cool name for it yet. So you gotta um, get. You have to get one, dude. I last <laughs> semester. Last semester, I gave it the Virginia Commonwealth Cup, which I liked, but uh, I feel like using that again would be childish. Why not? Oh, wait, the yeah. next semester? Or last yeah. Semester? Yeah, yeah, last semester. Uh, um, um, what what do we call our second gonna... year? We called it the DUI, didn't we, Ziggy? <laughs> we called it the invite. Which you guys don't want to do anymore. We did no, we did. They did it um in fall. I convinced oh, them to do it. You can That's awesome. Um yeah. so you had the CDO in January, just like everything else, or in winter quarter. Um, and then you had the DUI. And then they're doing something in, in March and they don't have a name for it because it's the third tournament Paul's hosted, so they've never done Chicago Combine. Chicago good. dodgeball combine. That's mine. That's really better. <laughs> but I think Cam's gonna do something weird. He is. Uh... I don't know. It's out. It's the weekend after Valentine's, so I feel like a no, like something Valentine's related might have to work. <laughs> oh, that's what the V could stand for. Valentine's. VCU Valentine's tournament. Yeah, I don't know about that. No, just just do it like, just do whatever. I don't know. Find a name. It's not that hard. Like, yeah. Entertain me. Find an, like an acronym, like uh, massive tournament at VCU, you know, MPV. <laughs> All right, we'll figure it out. But um, we can talk, we should talk about the Bobcat Bash and then I guess the MDC as well, since that's what people care about. Yeah. Um, what's what's the Bobcat uh, Dash? Um, Ohio University is hosting their very first tournament ever. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Ohio schools plus Central Michigan, which this ought to be fun. Um, basically, Central has been getting a lot of shit talk from, or excuse me, a lot of crap talking about them because of the whole standings debate. So I think there's a lot of emphasis on them trying to come out swinging. But um, schools include Central Michigan, Kent State, Western Kentucky, Baldwin Wallace, Bowling Green, Ohio, Akron, and then Miami. So it's actually a pretty big tournament when you 
look at the total number of teams, but um, yeah. Matches. We should have at least one OT match, and knowing Ohio will have Ohio. three OT matches, just like the other one. Uh, so you, I'm calling there's going to be probably three overtime matches. I just want CMU to – I want Ohio to take Central into overtime. But... <laughs> oh, dude, I would love that. I think – who was it? Colin, Colin was saying he wants Ohio to break his personal record of most overtime losses in a season, which <laughs> – I think that's horrible, but I can see why you don't want to own that record. Um, no, in all in all seriousness, though, I think um, as far as like the interesting matchups, I think at least when it comes to the um, kind of the even matchups, Baldwin Wallace and Miami would be kind of interesting to see, just because Miami has just restarted their program. Baldwin Wallace is coming off a pretty big falling out, at least in terms of. Um, Last semester, they kind of weren't able to put a whole lot together when TJ left. And then I think he's back for a little bit just to help them run things. But that's kind of like a – it's like a big mystery game. So it that's hurts, why – I their numbers. Both have small numbers. Like Miami is a historical team. Like uh, before they dropped out for a few seasons, they they didn't have any numbers at all, and they always struggled to get 10 to a tournament. So, like, if you look at their historical record um, – they just couldn't get any players to go, and it really hurt them. It was always like two, tw- 10, and thir- 10, 11, 12. So mm-hmm. um, I hope they, because it's in Ohio, they bring some new people in. Plus, it would be good for the new club. Oh, yeah. I mean, Miami Miami of Ohio is not like a super small school, I don't think, either. So I think they could find some, or at least when we're comparing schools. It's smallish. It's probably... It's probably average number uh, in terms of people that are in, in our league. The schools that make in our league are probably middle of the road. Hmm. Maybe on the low end. Uh, total yeah. enrollment, 18,000. So that's that that's bad. actually bigger than I thought. But, you know, you don't know how many grad students that includes who will never step foot on a court, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, I would, I would definitely hope, like, my – my thing is I want the league to be, you know, as as good as it possibly can. I want to go into every match and have it, you know, recognize that like it's a it's gonna be a competitive landscape. Um but back to the back to the whole matchups and stuff. So um brought up my Baldwin Wallace Miami just kind of from like the mystery aspect. And I think another one that will kind of be interesting in the same time slot is bowling green and Akron. Um, this is the first time Akron, I think, in their program's history are bringing a full 20. So that's really good for them. And Bowling Green, I don't think that they have, they have a lot of experience in the first semester, but they haven't played since, I want to say, like early November, whereas Akron at least got the tournament at Penn State in January. The, they played this January at the oh. oh, they did? Okay. Well, yeah. I'm mistaken. They, they, they beat, they went 3-0, and I think. Nice. Right? I mean, they, That's helped them out a ton. Yeah, they they're a good team. Um, they play well as a team, and um, they know they do strategy, and you know it's it's good to see them play. They they came out really strong for Chicago Dodgeball Open. I think I have I have no doubt they'll go three and zero, especially with their opponents. But yeah, who did? Let's see. I they think, have. I don't think it'll be close. I think it'll still be close because. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to beat a whole team. 
but they're still yeah. pretty far off. And it's hard to beat Akron with supposedly 20 people, 19 mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah, they've got so they've got Akron, Ohio, and Baldwin Wallace. So you're right, the cards are a little bit in their favor, at least compared to the all the teams that are attending. But um, you know, you definitely don't want to count anybody out, especially uh, a team when they're at home or a team that's at full strength. Um, and I know Colt Colby Bryceland, uh, he just got his cast off for Akron. So I'm hoping he'll be able to have a you know, super huge impact. And Adam Pfeiffer is a good player for them as well. So um, I can definitely see them. Yeah, I can definitely see them pulling off the upset. They've they've done nothing but give us close matches, um, you know, in our in our history of playing against them. So I, you know, respect what they have a lot going on there. Um, Mario, so. Well, I, I was going to point out, uh, Akron, aren't they hosting a tournament? Um they are. They're hosting the war March 25th and 26th. It's like a pre-nationals thing, like yeah. two-day event, two weeks beforehand. That's uh, we're going to be going. That'll be fun. Nice. Yeah, oh, I heard about two days that. Is good. It's a fun, ter- fun time. It is a fun time. Uh, the war, too. What a cool name. Oh, I know. The war. Oh man! Entertain, you entertain simple things to entertain me. Just name your event <laughs> cool or see, something lame, and I'll make fun of you. It'll be entertaining anyway. Well, considering it's uh, considering it's only Maryland and Virginia teams coming at the moment, uh, we could do we could do like the DMV bash or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm tired. <laughs> Been up since um, seven, so oh, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> I mean, the one. So I'll touch. I guess we could end the last. The one match I really want to see is at the end of the day, CMU versus Kent. Oh, for sure. So and I, uh, my personal prediction is definitely CMU has got this, but um, Kent. I I don't like to count Kent out all the time because. Mm-hmm. They're, it's a weird team. Like they, yeah. They, if they're on, they're really on, and if they're off, then like it's kind of really excruciating to watch because they're all fighting with each other. Um, sometimes. Yeah. But I, when they're on, they're like they're really into, it's it's a fun game to watch because they're all yelling positive and stuff like that. Um, I saw a little bit of that when Bowling Green was, you know, they kind of looked like a a young Kent when they were all yelling at each other. Um, to get <laughs> well, but yelling positive at each other, like like leading a team but as a whole like it was a it was like five people leading the, the team but it worked well i don't know how it worked but it worked for yeah. sure it's many different ways to win um so that's the, that's the one match i want to see i think it'd be fun to fun to watch yeah and i mean i can i can tell you personally uh kent's kent's group is definitely very excited for that game uh cassie weaver one of their captains She's talked nonstop about how much she really wants that game. And I'm sure, um, you know, then Kent, don't get me wrong, Kent definitely has um, some good talent to be able to compete. Uh, Bert DePero and Logan Baird are kind of two guys that come to mind for me that I know can uh, definitely put up some put up some hard throws and make it competitive. Um, and then Mitch Aldridge is always in discussion for, you know, his abilities I think really the biggest key for Kent, if they're gonna if they're gonna win that game, 
they have a they have a very big tendency to rely too much on throwing and not necessarily try to put themselves in positions to catch as well. And Central, I think, kind of like you talked about Ohio State, I think Central has kind of established themselves as more of a catching team than necessarily a power-throwing team. So they're going to need to try to play a little bit more conservatively if they want to win that game. And I think being the last game of the day benefits, at least in terms of um, the CMU will be coming off of their third straight game, whereas Kent will have a one break, a one game break between them. So they'll get a chance to watch CMU play Ohio. And if Ohio's track record keeps up of sending teams into overtime, that certainly doesn't hurt. That'd be great. That'd be cool to see. I don't know if um, not, I'm not, not making any promises there, but um, I think I definitely agree with you that that is definitely probably the most uh, powerhouse matchup you could say of the day. Um, if Western, if Western Kentucky was bringing their full squad, I think they, I think they would be able to put up a decent showing against Central. But the fact that they're a little bit limited on numbers and Central will be at more or less full strength uh, doesn't really help them a whole lot. It's always been hard for. I mean, in my general objective experience, not an, I can't prove it, but. Western has not really traveled that well in its history. Yeah, they um, just because I don't know. When we when we played them down in North Georgia, they had they brought sixteen or seventeen, I think, and they were all yeah, and they were all. um, I think maybe like one or two people were you could tell like we're not really big team contributors, but everybody else like could at least do something well enough to keep themselves on the court. So they traveled well down there, um, you know, but like I said, they're looking at about 11 or 12 total to come to yeah, that's um, always Ohio. Tough. So that's tough. A tough, a tough um, it's tough. <laughs> you can't really say much because you know it's true. It's a very true thing if you don't bring 15 people. Yeah, but I, I definitely think uh, I definitely think Nick will have his squad under control enough to, um, you know, especially in the Kent game. I think they'll he'll have. I think the, I think they'll definitely not not saying that the chances of them winning that game are super high, but I think it can be manageable as long as they play smart enough. Really, kind of the the game that you can look a little bit towards would be the game against Akron for them, at least as far as uh, getting a chance to get some point earnings. But uh, yeah, I think Nick, Nick will play a big factor. Tyler Proctor is another, he's another good player for them to definitely watch out for, but uh, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how deep their uh, squad goes this weekend. It's not, unheard of for a team to upset anybody it's like the chances of one in five so oh yeah i mean you know you've seen you've seen you know this i feel like every every year at least for the past three years we've had more and more upsets or at least it feels that way you know whether or not the stats show it i'm sure you have that on a spreadsheet there's less yeah there's less there's more parity than than there have been there's technically there's the season's not over but we've had 26% 26% upsets, so we had 39 and 150. So that's pretty pretty much this year as opposed to last year when we had 36 and 200. Yeah, I think um, – and I, I definitely think part of that 
I think uh, Ohio State's struggle has kind of played a little bit of a part in that. I think, um, you know, not to not to toot our horns, but VCU's gotten a lot better than when we were. I mean, my freshman year, we were to quote to quote one of my teammates, we were hot garbage back then. <laughs> and now we're that's the 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 good thing about the system is like it adapts to that and that's fine. That's what it's supposed to do is it's supposed yeah. to allow teams that are good to get good again. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it breaks them normally. I don't want to get into it, but well, okay. I think that's a good thing to end off on. Yeah. Um, I, we'll have to, we'll ignore the Michigan teams for now. That's fine. Because they the have two weeks. They have two weeks. They don't have to deal with it. They can, yeah. they can do their own podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Any um, right, closing so, thoughts from you guys? Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Um, Beast was awesome. Uh, we got some clarification on rules, and looking forward to these upcoming tournaments. Um, hopefully, yeah. I'll be able to go to VCU one. I kind of want to see. I want. I kind because I heard Stevenson should be getting a team to go there. Great. Uh, working on it, uh, but it'd be great to go to Richmond. I think it's only like a two-hour drive for me. So. Oh yeah, from you, you're in Eastern Winchester. That's that's like hour yeah. forty-five, I think. Yeah. Um, Northern Virginia, uh, <laughs> Nova. Yeah. I'm excited to see two hundred plus matches. Um, going into nationals, like before even nationals happens, so we had 213 matches last year, mm-hmm. which is insane. Still insane for me to. Hey, did you win the prediction thing, Ziggy? Well, did, I don't remember. We... I don't think I recorded it last year. It's probably uh, in the things. Every year we make predictions on how many matches there'll be. Yeah, I, I, always, do uh, I always pick one more than Ziggy every year. <laughs> <laughs> That's some Price is Right type of crap right there. Yeah. Mario's Mario. Yeah. Um, as for so, yeah. as for myself on some closing thoughts, definitely thought the Beast was um, probably one of the biggest shakeups we've had when it comes to the standings. I don't necessarily think uh, – it's the end-all be-all of like what we can expect come nationals because, like we discussed, Ohio State and Michigan State weren't necessarily at their full strength. But I definitely think uh, we can see how much the East Coast has come up in terms of uh, Towson, both Towson and JMU have developed a ton. Like I said, VCU has come up a bit. And then one interesting team to see going forward, or at least I'm curious to see about, is Penn State just once they get some more matches under their belt because um, unfortunately we were on the losing end to our one matchup against them this year, but they, you know, they only have those three games. So I'm curious to see how they end up. And then as far as the Bobcat bash, I'm very excited for Ohio. I know Caleb is really excited to host his very first tournament and he's worked super hard for that. So I'm really proud of him. Um, and then you know, like we talked about beforehand, CMU, I definitely am interested to see how they come out after responding to some doubt and some haters. So that'll be interesting to see. Definitely. All right. So um, 
on that note, this is Average Joe's Podcast. I'm Zingus Maloney. I'm Hunter Ford. And I'm Mario Romanelli. And thank you guys, as always, for listening. Um, See you next time. Thanks for listening to Average Joe's Podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes of Average Joe's on iTunes or our website, ncdadodgeball.com. Until next time, just remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Bye-bye.